Broadcasting live from Mystic Gate on the Plain of Shadowmoor, this is Tap Tap Concede. Welcome everybody, Graham here with Cameron. Hello. And Nelson. Ha ha ha, I'm here too. And today, it's a Q&A episode, because we felt like it. But first, some various housekeeping, not the least of which is that this show is brought to you by our good friends at Card Kingdom. Check out cardkingdom.com slash LRR. Putting that little slash LRR on there lets them know that we're sending you over there, and we're doing that because we think they're great. And you get a little one-inch button if you tell them, loading ready run sent me, button please. They'll give you a little one-inch button, which, oh, I knew what it said. Someone told me, and now I can't remember. Smells like Teen Wolf. <laughs> that seems unlikely. Oh, it's G-G-E-Z. Ooh, oh, nice. yes. Nice. Oh, I love the creation of that button. It's yeah. fantastic. Thank you, Pogifers, for the G-G-E-Z button. <laughs> Pogifers. Yeah. And this show and everything we do is brought to you by you and your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. Some upcoming fun things. The M21 Nicknames episode will be happening in the fairly near future. And if you want to suggest nicknames for an M21 magic card, head over to lrr.cc slash nicknames, which will redirect you to a differently named website, but that's the one that's easier to remember to uh, fire in your nicknames there or just vote for ones that you like. And then when we record the nickname episode, we'll be sharing the ones that have received the most votes. So get involved and throw some suggestions in there. It's all anonymized and it's also randomly ordered. So you won't know until the actual nicknames episode, which ones got the most votes. And this coming Saturday at time of airing this episode of Tap Tap is the Double Masters pre-pre-release. Yes, indeed. It is another all loading ready run pre-pre-release and... There's going to be canonically eight people, not just Surgeon Nelson there as a bonus round, but they're in there from the beginning because it's double masters. It's designed to be drafted and we are drafting it with paper magic very carefully at a distance. You'll have to tune in to see how that's done, but we have plans and uh, I'm just excited to to draft this thing. Hype, this... hype, 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 hype. Yeah, the set looks... Uh, Pretty wild. Yeah. What are you going to do with your play set of Force of Wills? <laughs> Cast two of them. Ooh. Oh. Oh, the big brain play. Love it. Exiling Force of Will to cast Force of Will is a... Uh, I mean, it, you got this five mana Force of Will just sitting in your hand. When's, what are you going to do with that? You don't want to be exiling a Ponder or like a Silvergill Adept. Just exile that Force of Will. You don't need it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for this upcoming uh, PPR. If there's one thing that's true of me, it's that I'm a warm body capable of being the eighth in a draft. You and Serge can argue over which one of you is the eighth. And we will. And we shall. Excellent. Nelson, you were always so great when you were the eighth in a draft at the store. Back in the days of yore. <laughs> uh, this is like the beginning of an epic poem. The before mm. times, yeah. So that is this coming Saturday... August 1st at 11 a.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash loadingreadyrun, and we hope you'll tune in for it. Tell your friends. Why not? What are they up to these days? Can't be much. Tell the people you live with, too. Yeah. We know you're not friends with them anymore. Yeah. Not after this long staying at home. So today we are doing some listener Q&A. James sent out the flare, as it were, on Twitter, and here are some of the questions we received. Many people asked, what combinations of Jumpstart packets have been your favorite so far? Because we have got, we have played Jumpstart now <laughs> after recording last episode. I spent about all of my gems and gold playing Jumpstart, mm -hmm. and I have to say, after some consideration... Devils and Dragons is objectively the best. Ooh. Didn't win many games, but it was rad. That sounds awesome. They 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 have so many sack outlets. I don't know if this question is asking about like the the favorite combinations from a gameplay perspective or the funniest names. Cause I saw a post on one of the subreddits that was 
it was the plus one deck and the Teferi or the plus one packet and the Teferi packet. So when the deck names get mashed together, it was plus one Teferi, which um, <laughs> like standard. you're going to a wedding. You know, I just it's a phrase that, you know, people have heard a lot in standard over the past couple of years. Oh, right. That too. Sorry. I wasn't I immediately went to like Teferi is my plus one. I like that a lot to to that end. I quite enjoyed Spooky Lands, which is one that I played with. That was a lot of fun. And I also really enjoyed Enchanted Phyrexians. Aww. <laughs> it was, or that, that one was good. Actually, no, I'm, I'm thinking of, from a gameplay perspective, Phyrexian Doctor. That was it. Because mm. it, all the Phyrexian stuff hurts you. And so pairing the Phyrexian cards with life gain worked out very well. Yeah, I can imagine. But Phyrexian Doctor, that's just Yogmoth. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he didn't. He didn't show up. The neither did Sheldred, who apparently is a rare that can be in the Phyrexian deck. But I ended up with a different card, and I don't remember what. I yeah. liked the plus one packet a lot, and I also liked the milling packet. I had reanimate milling recently, mm. and yeah, it was pretty fun. It's like there's some black cards that mill me because I'm trying to reanimate stuff, and then there's also some like comes into play ability milling creatures so that's kind of a cool combo or you can just bring back your i forget what his name is like it's some impossible pile of syllables but he's like a three mana one four that doubles your milling oh bruvac is it just bruvac is it like bruvac the inscrutable or something doesn't he have some funny adjective definitely sounds like some kind of piece of coffee generating equipment yeah <laughs> i was going to say or like a, a space age leaning implement you got to change the filter in your brew vac. Yeah, no, this is the uh, it's a cleaning device that you'll find at the beer store. It's the brew mm, vac. Yeah. There you go. Anyways, the milling deck is like quite good because they're 40 card decks, right? So, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of easy, easy wins on that one. Turns out that in our previous episode, when we said that you'll need to play some number of times to get the basic lands, we were definitely underestimating how many different new basic yes. lands there are. I realized that shortly after we recorded that podcast as I went to like play my my third round or whatever. I'm like, wait, there's a bunch of basics. But it does tell you when you're selecting packets, it has a little check mark on it if it's one you've already gotten. Yes, I also noticed that. So that's that's good. But I kind of wish it was just five full arts that you had to collect. But yeah, whatever. Being nitpicky. I did like the, the mountain from the lightning pack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks so good. Next question from, oh, geez, it's Brad, who says, if you could have any set or block magically appear on Arena, what would it be and why? I would actually really like to see original Innistrad on Arena. I was going to say that you took my answer. <laughs> yes. I, I'm yes, Graham. If, I'm curious if you have the same reason I do, which is, you know, obviously it was a super fun draft format, but if we get to play it on arena then we can draft against bots who presumably won't force the spider spawning deck yeah the monsters who are like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna take this the, this green self mill card just in case spider spawning comes around it's never coming around somebody took it when Innistrad was around the first time it wasn't until very late in the format that people sort of realized the spider spawning deck and sort of had to do interesting things to get it. And you could usually only get it maybe once in a draft pod. But when it came back to magic online as flashback drafts, everybody would go, Oh yeah, right. The spider spawning deck and everybody would try to force it and it would just be useless. And there's other fun decks in that format like it was a super good draft format for many reasons that aren't spider spawning fantastic draft form but the problem is that everyone trying to force spider spawning also ruins other draft archetypes yeah yeah spider spawning was kind of like the storm of that draft format right like where there would mm -hmm. be there, it would use a lot of enablers that could go into multiple decks and it was usually several colors yeah the format where because everyone was forcing spider spawning you could also just take werewolves and kill everyone oh yeah werewolves 
Werewolves was a great deck. Like the spider spawning, the, the one-fifth of a spider spawning deck that your opponent had. Yeah, it was pretty likely to just sit there doing nothing. And that just meant your werewolves came online really quickly and then killed them. In a similar vein, I usually tried to draft spider spawning, but was ready to pop into green-white humans instead. I loved, yeah, travel prep. Yeah. The travel prep deck was very strong as well. Because you could kind of use some of your stuff that you were going to put into spider spawning, like your your good cards, and still just shove those into green-white humans. Mm-hmm. Did you, Cam, have this have the same reason that you wanted to bring Innistrad to Arena in particular, or just because it's awesome and you want to play it? Uh, it's just awesome and I want to play it. I, I, I feel that the more formats have access to Burning Vengeance, the better magic gets. Oh, yeah. Burning Vengeance is just this ultra-sweet card that is totally not good enough to be played in any constructed format. But someday, someday it's going to get there, and I believe in it. I believe in it very hard. Nice. You know, it's probably not going to happen, whereas yours hopefully will, because yours results in something sweet for everybody, whereas mine results in something bad for everybody and, <laughs> and results in me chuckling about it. That's that's who I am as a person. Sorry. So I'd like them to bring like either Beta or Fallen Empires or maybe even Ice Age. Ice Age might work out, but like Fallen Empires or like Beta or Arabian Nights, one of these ones from the very early days, and then let us draft it. Just so everyone gets to see how far, you know, magic has come in making, you know, limited a format, right? Because they, I know they have, they, they wouldn't, they need to not put it on historic. They've already put some of the power nine into, uh, into the code for arena. And then a lot of the other cards aren't that bad. Although I'm sure there's a couple impossible ones. Like who knows if the, the arena dev team would ever want to take on the challenge of programming um, rushing river, that sort of thing. <laughs> Right. Eh, it might not be that hard. Anyways, I just like the idea of letting the arena players see what the cards were like in 1994 and, and what limited was like if you were an early, early limited player. That's amazing. Just take the order of late Burr every time, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, Fallen Empires maybe has some some legs as a limited format. I played it once, but it was in a weird like combined thing with Ice Age um, and I've drafted revised cube a bunch of times. So I think like having collated beta packs or revised packs, whatever, even, you know, unlimited or revised, either one, just be neat to see like people be like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay, the first pick here is Shannon and Dryads. Hmm. <laughs> All right, next question. Many folks asking, or I, I suppose I could word this one after the prof did his big video on it. I suppose I could say that many Magic the Gathering players asked the question, what are our thoughts on the Double Masters VIP edition? Are you familiar with this? I'm not entirely familiar. I saw a couple tweets about a price tag of a pack, but I don't know all the details about Double Masters VIP. It's uh, very high. Let me, here you go. I will read from the Wizards official article about this. The VIP edition, it has... 33 cards and two foil tokens two foil borderless cards that you can only get this version of in the vip edition there's no cards there's no no cards are mechanically vip exclusive just just the visual treatment the printing yeah yeah two foil rares or mythic rares, eight foil uncommons, nine foil commons, 10 full art basic land, the printing of which is only found in the VIP edition, two foil full art basic lands, uh, the printing of which is only found in the VIP edition, and two foil tokens. Okay. And it seems it cool. Does, it doesn't have an MSRP or it does have an MSRP. Like they, you know, they don't do MSRP anymore, but like that does seem like a lot of stuff. Yeah. They are on Amazon right now for a hundred dollars. Oof. So I mean, I've sold many a you, you'll know this, Cam. I've sold many a basic land for a dollar. And yep. this is in Canada. And like there's plenty of basic land art that we've sold out of at that price. And you know, before Amonket, I would say, or even I should say Zendikar 2. Whatever, what was it called? Battle for Zendikar. Before Battle for Zendikar, Full Art Land was really like this hot commodity. Even when, even the first time they put it into normal packs, it was still just selling really well. 
that was when you guys start, first started getting back into magic. So it's part of the value to me, certainly those basic lands. And so two foils, it's like, well, that's got to be at least 10 bucks, you know, and, and back in the day, it would be 20 or whatever. So that'd be like $30 or something right there. And then you have guaranteed foil rares. So it starts to kind of make sense. And it's 33 cards. Yeah, but there's eight uncommons and nine commons in there as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the full previews are already out, but it's going to partly depend on the you know secondary market appeal of these extra printing, like the treatments, right? The visual treatments of these cards and how, how much people like them. The set of full art basics are... They're um, reprintings of the John Avon Unlands. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But with like the new sort of a newer full art treatment. And then there's two foil full art basics from other selections. One of them specifically Noah Bradley, which Wizards is like, sorry, this was already in progress. So... It's a lot of money, but also it does kind of sound kind of spicy. I didn't know they're going to be John. They're John Avon unhinged lands then, right? Yeah. 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 Those are like my favorite lands still. So I'm, I'm a little turned up. That's a lot of money, obviously. Two of each means that's enough for a Highlander deck or my well, Highlander deck at least. I'm Yeah. Multicolor Highlander deck. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm actually not remotely against wizards doing some kind of big fancy ridiculous collector's items i i don't mind that as a concept i you know now is probably kind of an awkward time to to do it but obviously they too had not planned on there being a global pandemic so i i'm not mad at them for that are you sure <laughs> I'm, pr I'm pretty sure i'm not mad at them for not predicting a pandemic yes think about the companion mechanic <laughs> Oh, I mean, that that was a mistake. Sure. I just wish they were like more special. Like it's 33 cards for a hundred dollars and there's a bunch of commons and uncommons in there. Like when I like I've had opportunity to open some number of collector boosters, you know, like I've got store credit and I pop into Yellow Jacket and make sure that <laughs> they're still open. And, you know, I've so I picked up like a core set 2021 collector booster and there's like three or four cards in there that are like pretty sweet. And then a bunch of foil draft trash. And it's like, eh. Yeah. And so for this thing to be, you know, it's only 33 cards and there's some sweet stuff in there. And then it, out of 33 cards, 17 of them are common or uncommon. It's kind of like, I, I just, I, if you want to charge a hundred bucks, do something like really interesting, like a really nice reusable deck box or, yeah. you know, also some sleeves, like do like a full, like, ah, yes, the VIP experience rather than just calling it VIP because it's expensive. Yeah. Like, I mean, the more I look at this, the more I'm like, I can't play any games with this. There's no pretense of like this being a sealed product where the randomness is useful. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, the odds that you just, like, drop a bunch of money and get nothing of what you're looking for. Like, I, I like the secret layers. Yeah. Not all of them have been for me. Mm -hmm. In fact, relatively few of them have been for me. But they're a cool concept, and I appreciate them. This, yeah, I don't know. The round randomness, I think, is going to make this feel extremely bad if you're like, you know what? Treats for Cameron. I'm going to spend a hundred dollars on this rather than something else. And I get nothing right. Other than the basic lands. Uh. I think that this product is, you know, clearly only aimed at people who have the extra cash to burn for fancy versions of the cards. And I guess it's just always my opinion that if you, you know, need those, like, I don't know, it makes sense I prefer that Wizards is like charging more money for foils and for like unnecessarily extra pretty cards. I'd rather they're doing that than, you know, releasing all the standard playables as mythics, right? Like I, you know, I, I would like to get to see more kids playing FNM that are on a budget or, you know, just people on a budget, not necessarily kids, a lot, a lot of times it's adults, but they 
have a fixed MTG budget and that's totally fine. And I'd like to see those people getting to play. And if you can afford to make your EDH deck shiny, then, you know, you will. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm generally fairly in line with you on that, that it's like, I don't really care if they do really expensive stuff for the people who can spend money on really expensive stuff. But at the same time, I, I just, I wish they would put more into their really expensive stuff because this feels like it's very kind of lazy. That's just like, here's a bunch of cards. It's expensive now. Here you go. Would you prefer that they gave you a play mat, a deck box, a blanket pillow bed sheet set, and it all comes in like a box that can be sealed and taken underwater and like you know you pay for it at your lgs and then like a courier in a limo brings it to your house instead of a hundred dollars it costs a thousand dollars now that sounds it sounds to me like you're being sarcastic (laughs) (laughs) no i was when i first started formulating this thought to be like a counterpoint because i the way i described it i'm like well to me this isn't even magic magic is like the the route to playing the game and it doesn't it doesn't stop here if you're on a board game that is how to get to play magic and you know the goal where you win is you playing magic and you start not owning any magic cards and not being in a queue and you have some amount of money it's like you just go past the vip packs and the collectors packs they aren't a game right and they aren't the way to get cards like you play limited because it's a game so it's okay to say like oh it sucks that you know, this master's set costs so much more than the last master set or something because we want to draft masters and they made the packaging worse or because Trump, now we have to pay more taxes on, on magic cards or whatever. Like that's a reasonable complaint where you're like talking about uh, a limited match you're trying to get into at the end of my get to play magic board game. But, you know, it just doesn't stop here. So it's kind of like hundred dollars, thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. All of these things are just the extra amount that you paid on top of a normal price of a card. You're looking at this in the same sort of vein as you would look at a planeswalker action figure. That it's like sure. this is yeah. a this is a separate toy that is related yeah. to the game of magic that you don't have to remotely engage in. Or like buying original art, you know, and there's nothing wrong with it. And it, it maybe this is a weird comparison because there are still magic cards you can play with but you definitely don't need to. I probably should take the reverse tack immediately and just say, you do need art in your life. So get art kids. <laughs> I, I think that I am with part of your hypothetical question in that. I think that a much more attractive VIP edition would have sleeves and a playmat and a very nice box and then a bunch of cards and still be about a hundred bucks. And I think that would be sweet. And a hundred bucks for 33 cards just sounds kind of like, yeah, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like rip on anyone for buying it. Keep in mind, some of these packs will pay for themselves just like every other pack. Yeah. All right, let's go through. We have gotten three questions in <laughs> so far. So let's see what we can do here. Leech juice says, do you see webcam paper EDH sticking around even after waves hands vaguely at the world is under control? Would you recommend casual players invest in that sort of setup without an established play group? That's a great question. I mean, we've only been doing it for the benefit of streaming. I know that a lot of people have been doing remote play paper commander games, you know, using similarly, sort of awkwardly bodged together setups. I don't know that I would advocate that a casual player go out and get like the kind of webcam and grip arm kind of thing to clamp to your table or lighting or whatnot that you would need for that, especially if you don't already have an established play group. Like eventually, someday, (laughs) we'll get to play in person again. So I don't know. I guess maybe make sure you'll have people to play with first. Yeah, I think that's that's the the floor here. If you have a playgroup that wants to do remote games, then that's probably a fine thing for you to spend some serious money on, <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Like a webcam is not super cheap. They're they've gotten cheaper, but you know, it's still some money and an arm is still some money and a nice mic. It would it it would be to the benefit of your play group if you have a nice mic. Then you still have to deal with, you know, Gaunty, Lord of Luxury, not being a great commander to bring to that. So I, I just yeah. second what Cameron said. So it's like if you're doing it for the friends, essentially, like if you're doing it to keep a, a gaming friendship alive with some people that you, you know, met through the pandemic or just that moved away or whatever, like, great. Then absolutely, yes, it's worth it for you. If you're just looking to play EDH, no, go to your local store if you can. Uh, I can't guarantee that you will be able to find a play group that you need, but if you're listening to this and looking for people to play magic with, check out the LRR discord. Cause there's a bunch of great folks over there and we have several different magic specific channels. There's a whole magic section. There's one for brewing commander for doing custom cards, organizing fan drafts, Highlander limited. There's an entire Vorthos channel you know, uh, discord.gg slash LRR. You do not have to be a subscriber or anything to get in there. Just hop on over and you probably find some friends to play with. Next question from Voralekomigaxis, pardon me, says, are you still playing MTGO? Uh, I am not. Nope. Not at all, but I'm sad about it because I do own a Highlander collection. And I do miss playing Highlander. I, it's just a bit more like work, obviously. you know, for the same reasons that Cameron and Graham aren't playing it. I'm not playing it, but I have been meaning to play it more. Yeah, I don't mean, I was like, I was going to be like, wait a minute. You don't know the reason I'm not playing Magic Online, but I, I think you're probably right. It's just it's arena is faster and nicer to play and it's right there. And if I'm going to be like oh i could i could play some magic right now i'm not going to be like oh right let me slog through mitgo <laughs> news at six yeah, like, stark shocked to find out reason he plays arena instead of mtgo is same for rest of world yeah exactly yeah like i only play limited online really mm-hmm. and arena just does that better except for building decks and sealed mtgo mm. still got it over over arena mm. Crackick Lockhart asks, how do you guys deal with multiple losses in a row due to bad beats, mana issues, or just a general poor draft or sealed pool while keeping your cool? Take a walk. Honestly, like I, if I'm, if I'm just like peeling nothing but trash, I get up, right? I walk away from the tables. I go do something else, get, get something to drink, get something to eat, Mm -hmm. get some like even turning away from, because right now I'm doing this at a PC, turning away from the PC and being like, right, the whole rest of the universe <laughs> exists. It's not just like these two screens. And I find that that helps a lot where I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, I did peel four lands in a row. Guess I'll guess, guess, guess that's a thing that happens. Yeah. And will probably happen again. I mean, get used to losing also i mean (laughs) like it's different when it's a a gameplay mistake that i have made but in your list here you know bad beats mana issues just opened a bad pool that's magic and you know you you have to be able to you can be upset just like you're gonna get upset it's it's fine to be upset but you know ultimately you need to remind yourself it's like well that's that's just how it goes sometimes. And then, yeah, sometimes it sucks. But like Cam said, take a deep breath, go for a walk, get back to it. If you enjoy it, I mean, don't do something you don't enjoy. But, you know, I, I talked last week about how I was losing at M21 a lot. And, I, you know, I don't think I'd be able to talk about that on the podcast if I wasn't like, yeah, well, that's just how magic goes sometimes. Also, jump, Jumpstart came around at a great time because I've been having a blast playing Jumpstart. Yeah, Jumpstart feels like very low stakes, right? You never get dirted out of your queue, of your deck that you think is cool, but just like didn't perform due to RNG. But yeah, like don't even the pros only have like, you know, 55% win rates. Like I heard that, yeah. Like 60 or 65 is pretty good for a pro, right? 
Yeah, like if you ever want to feel feel better about bad beats, watch Efro at his Hall of Fame entering uh, uh, Pro Tour. Like in the fine in like game five of the finals, he has to multi like four. Oof. Right? Like yeah. that, you know, that sucks. And it happens to everyone. I, I have three quick things. One, I don't understand the question because it implies that I've kept my cool or I was cool <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> Two, j- just like Graham said, it's okay to be emotional and acknowledge that like you you will your emotions will get involved in everything you do. And so this game, especially if you're passionate about the game, you love the game or you love your friends or you know whatever it is that gets you fired up is involved with winning and losing and playing. So it's okay to have emotions, but your emotions aren't helping you win or lose, right? Like, well, they might help you lose, but I don't think they'll often help you win. It's important to just recognize that like your decisions and the cold calculating part of you is the part that's really doing well at magic. And then the last thing is like, Although you will lose to bad beats, like AKA bad luck, mana issues, AKA bad luck, poor draft sealed pool, AKA bad luck. You, you will lose to bad luck sometimes, but it isn't productive for you in your career of becoming a better magic player to focus on your bad luck. In fact, it's a reasonable thought experiment to pretend luck doesn't exist and assume that every, everything that went wrong is do your own mistakes and find those mistakes. If this is going to beat you up emotionally, don't do it. But if you're just always trying to think like, okay, what do we do wrong? And you can try to think of it at the end of every game, including the ones you win. And it, it's just disappointing. Then you move your, your, your bad emotions turn into just like, okay, we lost and we can't figure out why. And then that'll actually happen less frequently usually than when you lost and you feel bad. Cause if you're only feeling bad when you lost, half of those half the times you're going to know like you're going to say like oh i made this dumb mistake or you know i i played the wrong land first or i made an attack that was clearly wrong so you'll catch some of your mistakes and then you feel good about it even when you lose you'll you'll say like oh i shouldn't have done that thing and i'll try not to next time metornan asks what's your favorite thing related to mtg outside of the cards like in a merch sense books shirts original art etc you mentioned efro his wife's tattoos. Hmm. Oh yeah, Athena. There's a yeah. There's a startling amount of excellent magic tattoos out there in the community. I don't know that that's like my favorite thing, but boy, some people got some really great magic tattoos. Sorry, just to amend something from earlier. I it wasn't Efro. It was Mike Segrist who lost in the the finals. Cam, are you thinking of when Efro was on the bubble for Player of the Year? That might have been it. And a different player. It was based on whether or not a different player was successful or not. And then they were, meaning that Efro was no longer in contention based on points. And then they had to cut back to the booth and he was at the news desk. And they had to be like, so you just lost player of the year three seconds ago. How do you feel about that? That was it. Yeah. Right. That was... Uh, that I mean that that was pretty rough. I don't think they should have. Yeah, it was, I don't think they should have done that to him. They've learned. Yeah, a similar moment. If you're interested in big tilt on camera, watch. Um, um, sorry, Sean McLaren win the pro tour. I can't remember which one it was, but Birthing Pod was still legal and modern. It was a modern pro tour. Sean McLaren wins, I believe, with Jeskai Control, and then they cut to a second place interview with. I'm sorry, Jacob can't remember his last name now sorry about that but it's like he's just been on the cusp of like losing game five he's like been on the cusp of winning this pro tour it's like the biggest achievement you can make in magic and then he doesn't quite make it even though he plays so hard he plays with lots of hard tries real hard but he, he loses and then 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 he's on camera and i remember him saying and i, I remember as soon as i started the interview i looked at it like why is this happening why <laughs> who's <laughs> whose production choice was this? Like you, you need to have another production meeting before the next pro tour clearly. But he said, I'm feeling physically ill. Like, like he held oh. up as best he could, but like he was ready to curse. Like you could see he was like, oh, I'm on camera now. And like, and yeah, he, he like said that he needs to go throw up. It's like, Oh, so bad. So, f- so yeah, pros tilt too. Number one tip for feeling better about losing a game of magic. Don't, immediately go on camera and talk about it yeah don't get interviewed yeah oh uh, i love the art books i mm-hmm. i think they might 
have stopped them again. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't heard about a new one recently, but I hope that they make more because the art books are gorgeous. Are we still due to get a Netflix series? Like, is that still in the works? Does anyone know? So hopefully that'll be my favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that will be good. Fingers crossed. I've really liked the D&D books so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I should amend that to say I like playing D&D on Ravnica. Those book, the the Ravnica book in particular, I felt needed some work, but like, hey, you're 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 doing it right, and like they they've also released the supplementary products for like Innistrad and Amonkhet and Kaladesh, mm-hmm. so you can play D and D there. That I I really like those products. Anything that gives you a different like insight into the into the world, yeah, I enjoy definitely. Next question. The James Burton asks, do you have any thoughts or exposure to other card games, things like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh? Do they get played at Yellow Jacket? Do they get played at the Moonbase? Okay, nothing else gets played at the Moonbase. Well, that's not true. We've dabbled with Keyforge on stream, but nothing else like casually. And really, apart from Magic, for me, I played the Decipher. Let me amend that. I collected the Decipher Star Trek card game way back in the day but that's about it never played pokemon never played Yu-Gi-Oh. that's where i'm at yeah i played the vampire the masquerade card game way back in the 90s yo and i remember it being good but nobody else played it i'll play it with you if you want thank you like there was a huge proliferation of of collectible card games in the mid 90s after the success of magic the gathering and everyone played a different one Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I I I've always found that like I play whatever my friends are playing. That's why I play the games I play. No, I don't play anything else because my friends play magic. I've played several of them. My favorite was Shadow Fist, not Shadow Run. And it was just the best game I found designed for multiplayer because we were playing a lot of multiplayer in the nineties, like you know, it was more casual and casual players play more multiplayer and uh shadow run really keeps you involved sorry shadow fist really keeps you involved in the game uh even if you're losing until the game ends so i like that about it a lot yeah cam never had time to play with other small pieces of cardboard because the other tabletop hobby involved tiny plastic men yes yeah that you want to talk about oof what was it it was a box of five pewter vampire count blood knights that were a hundred and twenty dollars i think and my friends and i looked at them when they were announced and went 120 bucks ain't a bad price for five nights and then slapped ourselves (laughs) nice like what did we just say why did we say that why did we think that we need to go outside when i briefly thought i was going to be dabbling in warhammer fantasy back when it was called warhammer fantasy I got given for my birthday the four Elector Counts of the Empire that were pewter figures as well. And it was the four Elector Counts and Thyrus Gorman, Supreme Patriarch of the Colleges of Magic, Ooh, which is neat. Yeah, the Grandmaster of the Bright College. I have no idea what he did because I still have yet to actually play a game of Warhammer, but I certainly had those pewter figures. Hmm. At YJ, the last time I saw someone play a non-Magic card game was for, I believe they had a PTQ for Transformers last year, 2019. Oh, yeah. The Transformers CCG is actually like kind of taken off in a respectable way. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't played it myself, but I've heard a lot of good things from a bunch of good Magic players. End of the Wedge asks, I'm an arena player who got into the game during Exelon, but I've fallen out of love with the game, especially during Ikoria. I feel like I'm out of the loop. My question, should I dip back into Core 2021, or is it better to wait till rotation and totally rebuild my decks then? This is not an arena-specific question. This is a question, Nelson, I'm sure you have fielded at the at the store for years. Yeah, I have a pretty good answer for this one. All right. So... It is a good question for Arena, though, too. But but I totally agree, Graham. And I want to say yes and no. For Core 2021, what you should do is draft, because it sounds like from your question that you, you mostly play Constructed. 
And as much as possible, I would spend your spend extra gems getting back in or whatever. Like if you can afford it to playing uh, core 2021 draft or really any course at draft, whenever you have a friend who's getting back in or trying to learn limited course, that's always the best time because the draft portion is less challenging. The games tend to often be about equally challenging, but the draft portion is less challenging. And so it's easier to know at the end of a draft what mistakes you've made. There's just less less total words you had to read and less big, difficult decisions you had to make. So you'll know when you've done well, you'll know when you've done poorly, you'll have a better chance of remembering what your decisions were in the first few picks of each pack that led you you know, down a good path or led you astray. So I would play limited during core 2021 and then yes, rebuild your decks after rotation. I honestly, I usually caution people away from trying to build decks that are ready for rotation because it's like they're in their own little bubble and these decks like have to ignore really important parts of the metagame. And often people are doing it as early as like October, like at, at YG at least people will talk about rotation, like all throughout the year. I've had conversations with people where they're like, Oh, I don't know if I want to buy this card from like, you know, last year's format because it's just going to rotate. And I'll be like, actually you have 11 more months with that card. Like, you're just as likely to get to play it as you are any of the cards from the new set if they were to get banned. Hayden 32040 says, is Wizards' involvement in Commander making the format less special? Like, does making powerful cards that are auto-includes and pushing the multiple opponent aspect make the format less charming and creative? That's a, that's a big question. I, I mean, Wizards has been involved in EDH for six years seven years when did the commander when did it become commander like 2013 was there a commander 2013 or was that commander the first magic commander product was announced in 2011 and came out in 2012 it was just called commander but it was you know retroactively referred to as commander 2012 so eight years and that's as long as they've been making their own product for it. Like they've sort of been involved since before then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel Wizards has been involved with Commander for a while. And official support is always this two-edged sword, right? You get things made specifically for you. But the intensity of that attention can force the development of a metagame very quickly. Right? The power level of new cards that have appeared in recent sets have pushed the Highlander metagame along quite far to a point where a lot of like people's pet cards are no longer even like an include as a as a as a gag, right? Like if you had a pet card that was kind of an okay performer in your deck, get rid of it because you will lose because of it. Is the thing that has been coming up, right? But as for like pushing the multiplayer aspect of, of EDH, that, that's something that you can decide at your own table, right? Mm. I don't know. I, yes and no, I guess. Does it make the format less special? Yes, in that more people are aware of it and playing it now. Yes, in that it is probably like your pet cards are probably less likely to make the include. The printing of what is the mana rock from the last commander set? The one that just taps for your commander's color? Arcane like, Signet? Right. Yeah, that one. Right. People were like not happy with that card because it is such a no brainer auto include index. Right. Mm -hmm. Now you're down to like 97 cards that you get to choose from after Sol Ring and Arcane Sig. And I, I get it. I get it. It's kind of a bummer. I don't have a good answer for this one, I guess. I think that's reason. It's, no one ever said we had to come up with good answers. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a relief. Yeah. Don't. It came out of your mouth, Cameron, so it's plenty good. Pressure's off. Oh. The, I think to what you said at the beginning there, that basically it's like, yeah, Wizards has been involved in Commander. I mean, that came out in 2012. There's there's development time. Like, Wizards has been involved in Commander for 10 years. And like with all of the formats that are officially theirs, they make mistakes sometimes, you know? And... I think if the rules committee decides that it is bad deck building to sort of have cards that 
you feel obliged to put in every deck, then maybe they'll do something about it. But in the meantime, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's fine. The thing is like, I never include all the, the auto includes in commander, right? Like there's cards that is like, okay, well obviously you have Sol Ring in every commander deck and I don't, and I sh- probably should at least have them in more decks, but just because it is known that you are supposed to include a certain card in your deck doesn't mean you have to. I mean, one of the most fun commander games yeah. I've played in a long time was the latest episode of Friday Night Paper Fight where I brought an absolute dog pile of cards and i don't think that anything wizard's doing is making the format less charming and creative yeah if you feel like you have to put the soul rings and the cyclonic rifts in every deck that you build just get a different play group that's more fun yeah like edh has this problem i feel with expectations and power levels like at vegas last year i was doing a thing where i was you know participating in challenges with edh and they were just like bring a casual deck play in the casual cues. And I did that. And I played against a lot of people's like only barely off meta competitive EDH decks, mm-hmm. right? On the casual tables where people are like, oh yeah, I've got you in a hard lock here on turn three. You lose. Not now, but like in 40 turns. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's play it out. I'll keep talking, but you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't like... The thing with EDH is that you can just arbitrate that among your local playgroup, right? Like, maybe you can just say, like, let's cut Arcane Signet from our decks and see if that opens up some new play space. Yeah. Right? Let's cut Soul Ring and see what happens. You're also just allowed to lose every single game of Commander you ever play and still enjoy the format just as much as everyone else. Yeah. I mean, I don't win all that many games of Commander, but they're always fun. Hmm. St- statistically speaking if you're playing a game of commander you know with four people you're not likely to win it no <laughs> statistically speaking all right we'll do our last question for the day from sly guy 46 what is your favorite painfully average card not great not terrible not even good just okay uh example my favorite card to this day is Crozen drover but I know it's pretty unplayable. And Sly Guy sent Crozen Drover. It's three and a green for a 2-2 elf. Creature spells you cast with converted mana cost six or more cost two generic less. I really love Burning Vengeance. Right, I mean, like, it's not a painfully average card because what it is is it is a engine, right? Or it is a, it is a strategy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it actually fits the definition here, but it is the card that is so close to being something I can play with and always gets cut, right? Another card I feel that is kind of like that is Mind Boil, mm. which is from the Originica, original Ravnica City of Guilds. or is No, it's from the Is It set. No, it is from Ravnica City of Guilds. I can see the watermark now, where every time you play a spell, it's like this five mana red enchantment. Every time you cast a spell, you put your hand on the bottom of your library and draw that many cards, right? It, it, it's neat. It doesn't do anything other than get you killed in commander games. And people are like, how much damage did it do? That's going to be a problem. If I let that happen for three or four more turns, (laughs) better kill cam, which is fair. (laughs) That's fair. I like demonic consultation. I don't know if it's painfully average, but it is sort of like not good. And I like it a lot. What's what's it do? Demonic Constellation is a one black mana instant that says, choose a card name, exile the top six cards of your library, then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card with the chosen name. Put that card into your hand and exile all other cards revealed this way. So in Highlander, it gets you dead sometimes unless you have multiple basic lands and that's what you're searching for because it sometimes just exiles your whole library. But it's a powerful tutor. It's an instant. It's only one mana. So, you know, I don't think it's ever been one point. It's not like as good as Demonic Tutor at all like anywhere close but but like if you've got one out and you're about to lose the game anyway yeah it yeah exactly it feels good to play it it's it's risk i enjoy the risk of it so i think it like comes out to being an average card you definitely can cut it like i'll sometimes cut it if i'm like oh i actually really want to win the tournament this week so i probably should cut it every week but sometimes (laughs) i just want to play it more than win that's the weird thing about magic 
Also, it's got dope Rob Alexander art. Yeah. As soon as this is like this, this is a deeply unexciting response. But as soon as I read painfully average, the first thing I thought of was Colossipede from Amonkhet. Nice. It's a five, five insect for four and a green. That's it. Doesn't have trample. There's no kind of evasion. It's got no abilities. It's an insect, which is not a particularly relevant creature type. It's just a five, five for five. And I was more than happy to have Colossipedes in my Amonkhet draft decks. Yeah, you would take up to like 10 of those things. That card was so good in that draft format. Yeah, but it's just like, is this card like good? No. Is it bad? Well, well, no. Is it like what? what is this card oh it's fine it's very fine but i like it yeah you you play it on five yeah right what is this card it's turn five all right yeah seems fine honestly (laughs) you know what else seems fine cardkingdom.com yes Ooh, nice (laughs) you know what else seems fine Ordering singles anywhere in the world and getting them as fast as any store can possibly get them to you. You know what else seems fine? Getting sealed product. If it's not the most recent sealed product in in print, you can get that anywhere. And you know what? You know what else seems fine? Living in the United States, because then you can get, you know, new new sealed product. There's some other things that go along with that. (laughs) But you can get new sealed product from from Card Kingdom. So you got that going for you. Upside, you get new sealed product from Card Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah pros however you can be anywhere in the world and support us here at loading ready run through patreon.com slash loading ready run thank you for continuing to support us and everything that we do the ppr is this saturday august 1st at 11 a.m pacific and if you want to send us your m21 nicknames please do so at lrr.cc slash nicknames so for nelson Register to vote. And Cameron. Hello. I'm Graham. James was here as well, running the card reader. Heather does podcast admin. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Later. Later.